I'd invite you to turn in your Bible to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 10. Genesis chapter 10, we don't normally take a whole chapter, we usually divide it up into sections, but this is a kind of a unique chapter, and you'll, you'll see as we move through this, uh, it's kind of a one unit that we want to take together. So Genesis chapter 10, since it's a long passage, we'll read it as we go through, but uh, I just want to start by reading the first and the last uh, verses First verse and the last verse, and you'll see those on the screen. Now, these are the records of the generations of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Noah. The sons were born and sons were born to them after the flood. The last verse says these are the families of the sons of Noah according to their genealogies by their nations. And out of these, the nations were separated on the earth after the flood. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, it's our privilege to come to before your word and just expound on your word and allow it to ignite our hearts. Lord, we, we thank you for those that are here. I pray for understanding Pray for clarity. Pray that your spirit will work in our lives, that we would apply these things to our life. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage is primarily about influence. We may not see it at first, but we will see it, I think, as we go through this. And influence is a common word that we have here in America. This is... um, it's just something that, that we really don't even, we kind of take for granted or don't give a, a second thought. Um, we are influenced by a, a lot of things, sports uh, players. We are uh, influenced by country music songs. Now, I was just listening. If you ever listen to a country music song, you know there's a whole philosophy behind every song, just a whole philosophy that's there. We're influenced by Hallmark Channel. We're influenced by talk show Hosts, we're influenced by books, we're influenced by movies, commercials, salesmen. You can lose 30 pounds in 30 days. Or you, you, we're influenced by the infomercials of, of sham wow. Amazing things. Or, or just the, the mayhem commercials. We're fascinated for some reason. They catch our attention, but they influence us. Salesmen try to influence us every day. Politicians, they want to get our attention so that they can sell us their ideas. Build back better is an idea they want to sell. Teachers are influencing our children sometimes with new information that we'd rather them not influence our children. And because of this, then you have to have strong personalities to influence and force and might. And the strongest voice is going to have the strongest influence is the idea. We are under influence, folks, every day. And we need to come to terms with that because you have to be careful what influence you put yourself under. We have to be very careful. We have to face that reality, influence. Some are more persuasive influences than others. Uh, minding my own business, driving down the road, we were coming back from camping 
really kind of out in the middle of nowhere, country, farmland, that kind of thing. And all of a sudden, I see just a a sign. It's a small sign, but it's in the shape of an ice cream cone with two scoops of ice cream. And it says Hershey right on it. It's just a little sign. It's on the road. And it catches my attention. And I almost submitted to the influence of that little tiny sign. It has a powerful influence on me. Influence. We live in a society right now that is being, that is trying to influence each other. There's a, a shift that's going on, a shift in our culture, in the American culture, because our, our nation is becoming divided, and it's more and more so, it's becoming more and more evident. Different worldviews, different culture that's, that's taking place here. One culture is trying to dominate another culture, and different ideas, and, and there's a clash of ideas. And it's for the direction of our country, the, two different visions for our country. Um, should we have abortion or not? Should we use windmills? Should we have guns? Should we be able to define women and men? Should we dig for coal or not dig for coal? Should we fund the police or not fund the police? And, and these are fundamental. They kind of cut down to the fundamental elements of our lives. Our very jobs are at stake many times because of this this cultural divide. And and, and who's going to win? Who's going to have the more dominant influence? And even the country, as a nation, we have an influence to the world. Um, and we are exporting our influence. And what we decide here, the, 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 the emphasis that we're going to place, really is kind of exported to the world. And, and we have an influence on the world. Now, this passage is about influence. Now, at first glance, you will look at it and and you'll just say, no, it's just a genealogy. It's just about names and places and peoples and families and that kind of thing. And we could show you on the map of where all of these these families fit and where they will be uh, located uh, in our modern day maps and, and things. But that's really only part of what's going on here. It is a genealogy, and we need to understand that. And the geography of these things are important, but it's not the main thing. It's not the main thing. It is important. Also in this passage, we need to, we need to see that there's an expansion going on here. This is, um, this is a move from the individual to the family, to the city, to city-state, to, to a nation. And the idea of a nation is being born here and being worked out. Um, nations where people come together for protection and self-preservation. To, they kind of organize themselves under laws and uh, under, uh, around the same language, same interests, same values, and, and that kind of thing. But again, this passage isn't necessarily about nations. We can look and we maybe gain some principles about nations or some points to be had here. But it's not really so much about nations. We have to understand the, the, the timing of this passage in Genesis chapter 2. This is after the flood. This timing is crucial that we understand this. After the flood, you only have the three families, right? 
you had Noah, and, and Noah is passing off the scene. He's passing the baton to these three sons, these three families that he has. And it comes down to influence. Who's then going to influence the world at, at this point? Um, what values are they going to take? We also know, we can throw this in the mix, that, that Satan himself is one who goes out and deceives the nations as these nations are being formulated. Who, Satan is going to be there, of course. And the question is, who's going to say what emphasis they place on things? What laws are they going to have? What, what's going to be important? What's the standards? What are the ethics? What are the morals that are going to uh, take place here? What's the ideas? What's the belief system? Are they going to follow God? Or are they going to just go their own way? It's about influence. It's about influence. We need to know a little bit of the background here as well. Coming to chapter 10. We'll have to look back to, to chapter 9 and, cha- and we'll have to look ahead a little bit to chapter 11. But what's happening in chapter 10 is Moses is communicating these things, instructing the children of Israel. They have come out of the uh, nation of Egypt and they've becoming, become their own nation now. There's probably two, three, maybe four million. They were slaves and now they have become God's people and, and they're receiving instructions in the plain of Mo, plains of Moab. And Moses is giving those instructions and he's written those instructions down for us here. And this is, this is what he's handing to them. And they need to know, they need to know who the enemy is. They need to know where the, the enemy lies. And that's, that's important for us to understand. So you have a lot of names and you have places where these enemies are. Um, but Israel also needs to know why they're the enemy. Um, and it's because they are God's people now and God's enemies become their enemies. And that's an important, for us, important point for us to make. God's enemies become, become their enemies. They're going to love who God loves and hate who God hates. It's, it's just when you become God's people, that's what happens. And God is giving them the, the spiritual origin of these people and why they are the enemy of God. And that's what's taking place in chapter 9, 10, and 11. It's kind of the big picture. Now, there's a couple of things. We, we need to look back at chapter 9 and verse 25. And we have to remember what just happened. We, we went through this uh, a couple of weeks back, a few weeks back. Chapter 9, verse 25. You'll remember that, that Noah, in a, in a time of indiscretion, he, he gets drunk and he finds him, he, he is in his tent and he takes his clothes off. Maybe it's hot. But Ham sees that, his son, one of his sons, sees that, and instead of covering his father, covering the nakedness of his father, he looks upon that. And the idea is he's, he's looking down at him as, as disgraceful and kind of uh, uh, having uh, mastery over, if you will, over his father. And, and he tries to get his vo- brothers involved, and they would have none of that. They would not... Uh, 
uh, dishonor their father in that way. And what they do is they go and, and walk backwards and cover their father so they don't even see that. They don't even want to see that so that dishonors their father in their own mind. And so it exposes, exposes the heart of Ham here. And then Noah responds with a, a curse. And that's in verse 25. And he says, this is Noah, he says, Cursed be Cain, or Canaan, cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants he shall be to his brother. And he also said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. And may God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tent of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. So what's happening is, is Noah then, because the heart of Ham is exposed, he curses not just Ham, but his, his descendants. Now, we can't be confused here. It can be a little bit confusing because we think of a curse like a, a Disney witch placing a curse on, on someone. This is more like a, a prediction, a prophecy. Here's your heart's been exposed and here's what's going to happen. If this continues to play out, then this is, this is what's, how it's going to affect the next generation. This is the effect on your descendants, Ham. And here's what's going to happen. And so he, he places this curse. And it's more of a sinful pattern of thinking. A sinful pattern of attitude toward authority. And, and we see this played out in chapter 10 and chapter 11. It's passed on, this sinful idea toward authority is passed on from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. Now what is that attitude? If you go back, if you go to uh, Genesis chapter 11, we will see that the attitude is, is laid out for us here. Genesis chapter 11 verse 4, they said... Come, let us build for ourselves a city. Now, that's a problem in and of itself. God had told them to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. They're to, to scatter. And they said, no, let's come together. We're going to build a city. Now, there's nothing wrong with cities per se, but you're going to need those as you, as you move. And we've seen it in, in the Western America. They, as they moved across America, they needed cities for supplies, but it was, it was for moving purpose. This is... Here's their motivation, though. Um, build for us a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven and let us make for ourselves a name. It was self-glorification. It wasn't for the glory of God. It wasn't for the expansion of man. But then they add to that um, and will or we will be. Uh, otherwise, we'll be scattered abroad over the face of the... That's in, in complete opposition to what God has commanded them to do. And, and that's the thinking. And it's a rebellious kind of mindset. It's flat-out rebellion toward God and toward God's authority. We're going to do our own thing. And that's the attitude. That's what's, what's happening here. Chapter 10 uh, moves through this section, and, and that's kind of the pervading attitude behind this. Uh, this is um, uh, this is not much uh, different from what we we find today. People wanting to do their own thing, and this is a and I believe in Genesis chapter ten and in these generations as time is moving along, I believe you see this battle taking place. God has His remnant, 
But there's still a battle for of ungodly influence in society, and it's prominent. And I, I believe that they we see a, uh, an ungodly influence in our America today. And I believe that that is a battle for us. It's a cultural war. Again, a battle for influence of ideas and values and morals and standards and a view of the future. And what's happening then in our society, and you might even project it and think, well, maybe this is going on back then. Is there Today we, we see that is, man is redefining man, redefining things from a, not from a Christian worldview, from a, a different worldview. They're redefining history. They're reinterpreting life. Our children are going to grow up in a godly family. They're going to go out and the world is going to reinterpret that godly influence that they had. And that's going to be a negative thing. And they're, they're going to, um, um, evaluate, the world's going to place a, reinterpret their childhood for them in a Christian home. And it's going to be a negative thing. That's what's happening. And that's how powerful influence is. Now, the question is, how, how are believers then to, supposed to deal with that? How, how do we handle influence? Influence from the world and our influence on the world. How, how do we deal with that? I believe we, we have some, uh, enough lessons here that can help us. The passage is easily divided into three sections. Noah had three sons, and, and I think we can learn some lessons from each of these sons. First of all, we have Japheth, the sons of Japheth, in chapter and verse two through five. Look at verse chapter ten, verses two to five. The sons of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Madia, Java, Tubal, Meshech, and Tyrus. And the sons of Gomer were Ashkenaz and Riphath, and Tagorma and the sons of Java were Elisha and Tarshish and Kittim and Dadanim. And these, from these, the coastlands of the, na- of the nations were separated into lands, everyone according to his language, according to their language, according to their family, into the nations. Now you see the, the pattern here, and you'll see this in every one of these. You see, according to their nation, according to their land, it's tied to a land, and it's tied to a family, and it's tied to a language. You see that, that pattern here. And Japheth was, is the first one that's mentioned here. And you can see on the screen, we'll put on the screen, you may not be able to see it very well, but I wanted to give you at least an idea here. The next, uh, next slide there, uh, you, you'll see we'll have a, a table of nations here. And the uh, descendants of Japheth went more to the north and more to the west. And they were the furthest out, if you will. They were scattered probably the most. Now, if you remember back in uh, chapter 9, under the curse, it was not Japheth's family or descendants that was cursed. In fact, Japheth's family was to be under the tent of Shem. And the idea was Shem was going to receive the blessing from the Lord, and then Japheth was going to be under that tent, and that blessing was to spill over into Japheth and his generation, and uh, I'm sorry, to his uh, genealogy, to his descendants. 
And that blessing, if you remember uh, in Genesis chapter 12, if you want to turn over there, that blessing from God came in into Abraham. He was a descendant of Shem. And let me read this passage, Genesis chapter 1. I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house and the land I will show you and I will make you, you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. Same kind of terminology that God is blessing Abraham. He is receiving this blessing that uh, from the descendants of Shem. And I shall bless you, he says. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That would be, that would be the families of Japheth. They were to receive the blessings of God, not necessarily directly, but from Shem and from his descendants. And the spiritual principle, or the principle here is that these spiritual blessings of God's people are to spill over into the world. Let me say that again. The, the spiritual blessings of God's people are to spill over to the world. The blessings that Abraham received was the, the promise of a Messiah. The, the hope of redemption of man. And it was going to come through uh, Abraham and his descendants. And that's exactly what we see. But also we see... The wisdom of God's word coming through the descendants of Abraham as well. And so the spiritual blessings that Abraham received, the the Jewish people, they received it. That blessing was to spill over into the, the tent, if you will, of Japheth and his descendants spill over into the world. So that God gets the glory for that. Now, today we are... We are blessed. We are God's people are are blessed, and we are called to be an influence of the world, called to influence the world, and and we see that in a couple of passages, a couple of ideas here. Christ said that we are we're to be the light of the world. Light is is truth, and we're to to that is to be translated as the the believer lives out the righteous life that truth is to be seen in the world and the world is to to see that and to have hope and to have direction for the world it's light of the world but we're also called to be salt salt is a preserving agent uh, and it uh, salt uh, it uh, retards the, the decay of, of meat, and that's exactly what Christians are to do in a society. We're to retard that uh, sinful, decaying society. We're holding that back, if you will, our influence. Now, we have to be very careful because our influence is, is not to be our personality. It's not to be us in our greatness. It's kind of an indirect Indirect lighting. We see the lighting on the walls here. On the, not, not these floodlights here, but on the walls. Notice those, these lights uh, are, are facing away from us. They're indirect lighting. You can still see the light. We are not the light. God is the light. But we are indirectly exp- uh, uh, exp- uh, showing that light to the world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Here's what Paul says, and he's very, very careful here. I want you to see this. And when I came to you, brethren, I did, <clears throat> uh, 
I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming the testimony of God. He says, I could have come, and and now Paul is a brilliant man, and he could have come with superiority of speech. He could have come with with all of this wisdom, but he was holding back. He said, no, I didn't want to influence you in that way, for I determined to know nothing except Christ Jesus and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. And my message and my, and the, my message and my preaching was not with uh, perseverant, uh, uh, persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of power. It's the power of the Word of God to change a life. That's the idea. Is the power agent really was the gospel to change lives. And that's what people were to see. Paul was not the light. He was just reflecting that light through the the gospel message. And he says this in verse 5. So that your faith is not, your faith would not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Our influence in this world has to be the message that we have. It has to be the, the light that we have received from Christ, from God. That's, that's the way we are to, to light the world. It's not about us. It's not. It, it's an indirect lighting, if you will. It's about just a righteous life being lived out to the world. That light, that righteous life comes down from the, the wisdom we see in God's word. Now, here's, here's a, a point that I want to make. We have to live that righteous lifestyle out. We, we have to. But Christians and Christianity is not the problem in the world today. The Christians are not the problem in America. That's the way it's going to be interpreted, that we're the problem. If you can just get rid of these Christians, then there wouldn't be a, a problem. Everybody would get along. But folks, we bring light to the world, and we need to keep that in mind. We have a a good work ethic that is informed from Scripture. We have a good family uh, dynamic and family life that has been informed from Scripture. And we are living these things out. We love our neighbor. We have a hope that does not die. We have a love for God. Those things are all positive elements in our society. We are not the enemy. We need to keep that in mind. And the lesson from Japheth, I think, he is to receive the blessing from God indirectly. God's people are to be that, that blessing. We just need to keep that in mind, Japheth's descendants here. There's a lesson to be learned from Ham as well. Now, this is the longest section, and you're just going to have to be patient with me as I get through these, these names. In verse, the sons of Ham here, in verse 6, the sons of Ham were Cush and Mitzriam, and Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush were Seba, and Havilah, and Septa, and Rama, and Tabkita. Uh, the sons of Rama were Sheba and Dedim. Now Cush became the father of Nimrod. And he became a mighty man on the earth, and he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, this is probably a little statement that, that uh, they even know, the Israelites probably even know, knew at their time, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. Now, you, you kind of get the idea, first off, you, you might think, this is a, a great man, and he loved the Lord, and he was so close to the Lord. Now, this, is, this man is in opposition, in competition, if you will, of the Lord himself. I like what Al Mohler said. He said, and 
The fact that his name is associated with God means that his activity, his actions, are so notorious that Yahweh has to take note. He was this powerful man in the eyes of of everyone. He was almost competing with God himself. And when you look it up, the the word Nimrod means rebel. He, He was rebellious. He's the only one name that's mentioned whose whose actions are mentioned here in this in this text. And Nimrod became a, a mighty influence on the world. Notice what he did in verse 10. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Babel. Now we know right on that's that's not the good city. That was not known for its righteousness. In fact, it became Babylon, even even a worse city. So you have Babel, Eric, Akkad, Kalna, and the land of Shinar. That would be that whole region probably of, of Babylon. And, and he started that. He founded that. He was a kingdom builder. Verse 11, from that land, he went, from, he went forth to Assyria and built Nineveh. Remember Nineveh? That was an ungodly city. And Rahabeth Ayr. And Kalna, I'm sorry, Kala, and Racine, between Nineveh and Kala, that is the great city. Mitzrayim became the father of Ludim and Enemim and Lahabim and Nephahim and Pathraim and Kalahim, from which came the Philistines. And Katahim. Did you get all that? Verse 5. Canaan became the father of Sidon, his firstborn, Heth, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites, and the Gergesites, and the Hivites, and the Archites, and the Sinites, and the Arvadites, and the Zimmerites, and the Hamathites. And afterward, the family of Canaanites were separated abroad. And the territory of the Canaanites expanded from Sidon as far as you go toward Gera, as far as Gaza, as you go toward Sodom and Gomorrah and Admah and Zeboam, as far as Lesha. And these are the sons of Ham, according to their family, according to their language, by their land by their nation. You see the same pattern. Families, the language, God separated the language, families by language, their land and their nation. That's the way it's divided here. Now, there's a few things that we want to note here. I've mentioned uh, the influence of, of Nimrod. And these are, these are God's enemies. They've become God's enemies. Egypt, it would be, it would include northern uh, Africa, which would be Egypt, Babylonia, the Canaanite uh, clans, families. And they were all bitter enemies of Israel because they were God's enemies. They had opposed themselves to God. But they also had a strong influence. In fact, it was so much so that Israel wanted to, wanted to become like the other nations. And they, they almost refused to fight because they didn't want uh, they didn't want trouble with these other nations. In fact, they wanted to be friends with these other nations. But they were the enemy of God. Now, I have to point out a couple of things here. 
God is not punishing these children because of the father's sin. Don't get that idea. It's not because of Canaan sin or Ham sin that they are being punished. But the idea is that sin that was originated in Ham and Canaan, that was passed on. That thinking, that idea was passed on. That discipleship, if you will, was passed on from one generation to the next generation. And Nimrod, he just became the, the epitome, the, the full-blown epitome, if you will, of... Of this sinfulness, this rebellion against authority. Let me show you this idea. A few verses, a few chapters over in Genesis chapter 15. This is an interesting concept. Chapter 15 and verse 16. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet completed. Now, can you imagine? Just imagine God, him, he's on his throne and he's just waiting. Waiting for the full accomplishment, or the completion, I'm sorry, the completion of a sinfulness of a people. He's waiting to judge them. And folks, I, I look at this and I think of America. I think this is, this is God's judgment. He's just waiting to the sinfulness of America to be completed so that He could just, just wipe us out. It's not a, not a pleasant thought for us. It's the character of Him that was passed down this idea this um, uh, these ideas this uh, this disrespecting of fathers this disrespecting of authority and we see Nimrod was the full expression of that now God's people here Israel they were to stand and they were to fight because these were God's enemies and if they're going to be God's people then they had to stand and fight God has enemies, folks. He has enemies today. Those are people who have just braced themselves and are now fighting against the truth of God. Fighting against God. And we all fight against God in our own flesh. But there's some that has just opposed God completely. Let me show you a a verse that is kind of shocking to our sensibilities. In Matthew chapter 10, I'll remind you of this verse. In verse 34, I think it's on the screen. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, 36 says this. Do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. This is Christ teaching and he's talking to his disciples. A sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against his her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. That's hard. We don't want to stomach that. But that's the way it is. This is ideological. It's not, we're not, uh, the enemy is not flesh and blood, but it's ideological. And how do you face, how do you face the enemy when the enemy is your brother or the enemy is your dad or the enemy is your, your mother or mother-in-law or sister? That's, that's harsh. We accept the truth. Now I want to, I want us to think about that just by way of application. How do we handle the influence of of ungodly people, those who have uh, taken a philosophy that has set themselves up against God, become the enemy of God? And like I said, it could be in your own house. That's what Christ said. Well, in Romans chapter 12, we know that we are not to, to, to not be conformed to this world, right? We know that. 
We're not to be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So, so don't buy into the philosophy. That's the first thing, right? To stand, even, even in a household who has a completely different philosophy, you just, you just stand. You, you do your best to, to stand your ground. And of course, First John tells us not, not to love the world or anything of the world. Don't even flirt with the world. Don't even go down that, uh, that road. Because the world will influence you. We have to know that. We just have to understand that. Um, it will influence you. Yesterday, I was, or a couple days ago, we were floating down the river, the Greenbrier River. It was a wonderful time. There's a whole group of us. We have uh, these, uh, these tubes. And uh, I, we get into the water. Within five to ten minutes, I, I'm hearing this sizzling kind of noise. And I see bubbles coming up from underneath my tube. And I'm thinking, oh, no. Yeah, I know. And this is a two-hour trip. You know, you're floating down the river for two, two hours. And so what I had to do is I turned over and, and I felt and I found the, the place where the air was seeping out. And I put my finger there. And I basically had to hold my finger there for the whole two hours. But it became a blessing because my face was down Looking into the water, I would look up and we'd be going so calm, so slowly. And you wouldn't think you would be moving at all. But when I would look into the water, I would be seeing the rocks moving so fast. And you begin to realize there's a current here that you can't feel. You can't, you can't, but you kind of can sense it every once in a while. And folks, that's the way we are to be in the culture. We know, we know we are moving along with the culture. And and folks, we have to stand. We have to deliberately, intentionally stand for the truth. We have to live out a godly lifestyle, righteous lifestyle. And refuse the influence of the world. We have to refuse it. That's what standing is. And it's against the current. And it's hard. Because the world is going to take you and sweep you down. With everything else, another thing we have to remember is we have to be proactive to, to know the truth. We're going to stand for the truth. We better know the truth, right? We have to know the truth. Um, and that's, that's hard. A couple of weeks ago, maybe it's last week, that, that Justin brought a, uh, a message about the incredible riches that we have in where? God's Word. Folks, we don't need to look to the world. The scripture is sufficient for everything, for life and godly. We know how to live life from this word. We have the riches right here in this word. We don't need to go looking to the world for answers. We can come right here. And God gets the glory for that. God gets the glory for that. So we don't go, we don't go looking. We have to, we, we learn to be content in God's word and stand for the truth here. So the lesson from him is just to be warned. There is an ungodly world out there and they want to influence you. They want to influence your children. And the current will sweep you down if you're not standing and knowing and understanding the truth. Let me get one more. There's a lesson to be learned from Shem as well. And that's in verse 21. Also to Shem, the father of all the children of Eber. Now that becomes a... An important name here, Eber. In the, in the Hebrew, it, it, he became the, um, in Hebrew, it would be Hebrew. Um, 
or he became the founder of the Hebrew people. Say it that way. And he's his older brother. And the older brother of Jathan, children were born to him. Now, this was Shem, but he was the father or grandfather, if you will, of Eber. And Eber is being elevated here. Eber is an important figure. Verse 22, the sons of Shem were Elam, Ashar, Ashar, Archipechshed, and Lud and Aram, the sons of Aram, were Uz and Hull and Gather and Mesh. Archipechshed became the father of Shelah, and Shelah became the father of Ebla. I'm sorry, yeah, Eber, Eber, or Eber. That is our key person. Two sons were born to Eber. The name of the first was Peleg. For in the days of the earth were divided, in his day the, the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan, Joktan. And Joktan became the father of Elmod and Shelef and Ezermitzriam and Jerah and Hedram and Azel and Dikel. Or Dikla and Obel and Abimel and Sheba or Sheba and Ophir and Havila and Jabed. And all of these were the sons of Joktan. Now their settlement extended from Mesha as, as you go toward Sofar, the hill country of the east. These are the sons of Shem, according to their family, according to their language, by their land, according to their nation. You see the same pattern. It was these people, this place, this language. He's identifying now, not the enemies of God, but those who are blessed. And we see in Genesis chapter 12, it was Abraham that was the descendants of Shem that received the blessings of God. And the emphasis here is, is upon Eber, and the great, great, great grandfather of, of Abraham, who was the father of the Israelites, the, the Jewish people. And he became known as, I'm the, the God of Abraham, what? Isaac, Jacob, and even Joseph. And the idea is he's, he passed on discipleship from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. God blessed him and he discipled them to serve and follow the Lord. All the way up to the time where Moses was talking to these children of Israel, these Jewish people waiting to go into the promised land. And, and they are the ones who are blessed by the Almighty God. Now think about that. Blessed by the Almighty God. And it's because of their father, Abraham. Really nothing that he did. He was just chosen. They didn't do anything. But he was faithful to disciple his children. To pass on this godly heritage. This baton from one generation to the next generation. And it has to cause us to raise the question in our own mind. What habits are we passing on from our, or to our children? What patterns of thinking? What, what attitudes? What worldview? Folks, we teach what we know. We will reproduce what we are. I've said it many times here. 
We teach what we know, but we'll reproduce what we... We're making disciples in our children. If you're a part of this church, you're influencing our children. You're making disciples to this next generation. I would encourage you to be a part of that. And the lesson from Shem is just a godly discipleship. He was blessed. Abraham was blessed from the Lord. Shem was blessed from the Lord. And he became a blessing really to the, to the whole earth because he made disciples. This is discipleship. The spiritual training of the next generation. And so we see Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham, not a godly seed. Just, just going his own way. A state of rebellion. Japheth needed to hear the blessing of Shem. He did to hear that messianic uh, hope. <clears throat> and they're all three families moving into the future, influencing and being influenced. Now, just by way of application, we choose. We choose who influences us, don't we? We can, we can resist the ice cream advertisement. Barely, but we can resist it. We choose the influence of the people that we, we want to be influenced by. Do we place ourselves under the influence of the Word of God? It, it, is it the dominant influence in our, our life? Do we, do we go to the Word of God before we have problems so, so that we can understand what a godly lifestyle looks like, so we can live it out before we, we have the problems? Is are we being influenced by the world or are we being influenced? I'm sorry, are we being influenced by the word of God or are we being influenced by the world? Um, Abraham is a good example. He's the father of faith. He was the father of the, the Jewish people. But Paul points out that he's the father even of our faith. He was just the father of faith. Not that he was the first one to have faith, but, but he was just the, the prominent example, wasn't he? We understand that. We have founding fathers in this country that established this country on certain ideas, certain attitudes, certain emphasis. And we want to get back and, and think through, how did, how did they think like that? What were they thinking when they did that? Folks, the, the father of our faith was is Abraham. Abraham had such strong faith. He was, able, he was willing to sacrifice his own son because he loved God. He was willing to stand. And we have to ask this question. Are we going down the path of rebellion? Or are we going to go down the path of, of faith? Two batons and we're going to pass to the next generation. Number one is the sin nature. Can't help that. Can't help my children receive my sin nature. It's a baton I pass. But it, I need to also pass the baton of a godly lifestyle. And just godliness to the next generation. We all need to be doing that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, even, even just a, a difficult passage of a genealogy, just moving through these foreign names to us, just, Lord, there's a blessing here. May we learn, may we remember the lessons from Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Lord, may we follow a godly example May our faith be seen in an ungodly world. May we be light. May we be salt in this generation. And Lord, I pray for our nation. I pray for our country. What a privilege, what a freedom we have to live here. What a joy it is. But Lord, help us to take our responsibility serious to pass on a godly
heritage to the next generation. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.